0: Pastor Xavier Reese and the simple truths of the Fellowship of the Body. Is it possible to be a Christian without church?
1: Listen. Yes, it is possible. It is something like being a student who will not go to school, a soldier who will not join an army, a citizen who does not pay taxes or vote, a salesman with no customers. Now, if you get shipwrecked, have church all by yourself. But if you're in the city, you find a church.
0: Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. The law is useless unless it comes with a promise of fulfillment. That's the foundation behind good doctrine and hope, both important ingredients found in our current Bible study series of the book of Hebrews. Let's join our teacher, Pastor Xavier, as he brings us the conclusion of a message titled The Believer's Life in Christ. Hebrews chapter
1: 10, verse 19 through 31. The message is entitled, The Believer's Life in Christ. We come to the practical section of the epistle of Hebrews from chapter ten nineteen all the way to thirteen twenty five. But notice here in verse 19, the Christian has access to God. That's his first privilege that he moves into the practical section. This is the conclusion of all that he has said in the preceding chapters. The word therefore means conclusion. This is the sum total of everything. The one being addressed as who? Brethren, Christians, don't let anybody tell you that the book of Hebrews is not written to Christians. Don't let anybody tell you that what is being warned against in Hebrews cannot happen today. It is valid today for anyone who has accepted Christ. It's by the sacrifice of Christ, not animal sacrifice, as he has laid out for us very clearly in the preceding chapters. He's speaking to Jews. And so... Paul even closes in chapter 13, verse 18, with conscience, pray for us. For we are confident that we have a good conscience in all things desiring to live honorably. So now as Christians, we attempt to live the way it pleases God. We don't have to hide. We don't have to be with guilt. It's a different lifestyle. And so notice, secondly, in verse 23, in terms of practice, the Christian is to hold fast to his or her profession of faith, expressing hope. So first we express faith in our daily practice. Now it's hope. Let us continue to hold fast. And the term hold fast means to retain firmly or secure. The thing they were to retain was the profession of their hope. They had made a profession. The word is homologia. Homo meaning same. Logia meaning word. They had made a profession in agreement with God in the past that Jesus was the Messiah. That Jesus died for them. They agreed with God. And now, they were attempting to return back to animal sacrifices. He says, hold on to what you professed in the past. Don't change. In fact, they had confessed and embraced Jesus as their hope. The word hope means expectation. He was to return. By the way, he's still coming. You realize that? (laughs) Could be any time. No man knows the day or the hour. And so they had concluded that Jesus was a long-awaited Messiah and that he had died for their sins and that he was the fulfillment of all the Old Testament. Now they were changing their mind. The manner in which they had held on to the profession in the past, they were to hold on now in the present and towards the future without wavering. He tells them how they're to hold on to it, without wavering. The term without wavering simply means without vacillation. James says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. He's like the waves of the sea being tossed to and fro. We've all met people where they say, you know, you, you, you call me and I'll be there. And then we call them and they say, oh, man, you know what? I, I, I'm going to do something else. Have you agreed that Jesus is your Messiah? Have you agreed that he died for your sins? Then hang on to that agreement. Don't waver from it. The encouragement is, for he who promises is what? Faithful. So he gives you an exhortation, and then he says, God will do it as you yield to him. He does it. God is faithful, reliable is the word. And so we look to him. Now, notice thirdly his practice in verse 24 and 25. The Christian is to consider others expressing love. So you have faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. Here you have this triad of Corinthians. Okay? That's where we live. Faith speaks of the present, hope speaks of the future, and love ties them both together. Love is the motivation behind it. Look at 24. The command, once again, is an imperative. Let us consider one another continuously. And the word consider means to observe with understanding by fixing one's eyes and mind on something. The object is one another. Not self. The natural thing is to have your eyes on self. That's where ma- the majority of our problems come. Me, myself, and I. The purpose is in order to stir up love and good works. These are always tied together. If you love people, you do things for them. If you don't love somebody, you don't do things for them. They're tied together. And the term stir up means to provoke, to incite to exasperate, but in a positive manner. We are to incite others to agape love as Christians. Love is the only motivation that God honors, as you know. Why do I do the things I do? Why do you do the things you do? If if it's not love for Jesus and love for a fellow man, then we have absolutely no reward with Jesus. Look at verse 25. The individual danger of some is to disfellowship themselves from the church body. This was their practice. The exhortation is not to forsake the assembling of ourselves. The word forsake means to abandon, to desert. The word assembling means simply to gather together. They were to exhort one another in kingdom life because the Lord was coming. And they were to do that in the church gathering. They were to do it in such a way more and more as they saw the day approaching. How close are we to the coming of the Lord? Nobody knows, but I'll tell you what, I'm 30 years closer than I was 30 years ago. Is it possible to be a Christian without church? Listen, answer, yes, it is possible. It is something like being a student who will not go to school, a soldier who will not join an army, a citizen who does not pay taxes or vote, a salesman with no customers, an explorer with no base camp, a seaman on a ship without a crew, a businessman on a deserted island, an author without readers, a tuba player without an orchestra, a parent without a family, a football player without a team, a politician who is a hermit, and a scientist who does not share his findings, a bee without a hive. Now, if you get shipwrecked, have church all by yourself. But if you're in the city, you find a church. Often when I, after the sermon, I'm always here for prayer and questions. And, you know, and if I don't recognize somebody, I say, hi, how are you doing? you visiting? Oh, yeah. I say, oh, well, where do you go to church? They go, oh, I, I just, wherever the Lord leads me this Sunday, that's Oh, you're a flake. You just get blown away <laughs> here and there. It's like somebody asks you, oh, where do you live? You go, oh, I don't live anywhere particularly. Just whatever house is open, I just kind of just flop there. <laughs> no, 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 no. Every one of us lives somewhere. Now, we visit one another, but there's a place we live. You may go to another church when you're on vacation, or you may visit a church, but there's a home base where you, you're growing, you're involved, you're giving, you're serving. And if not, you're a flake. What can I say? We're the redeemed community of God. We're His body. The moment a person is born again, God gives him a new heart. A new mind, a new nature to live out according to God and to draw near to God in faith. And so believers were never intended to live a life of isolation, but to live in community, the fellowship of believers in the church. So if you don't belong to a church, go find a church. And get joined in. But don't be a flake just going here and there or having your ear tickle only going to churches that make you feel comfortable. The word of God convicts you, good. Now do something about it. Turn from your sin. Turn to God. And he'll do for you what you can't do for yourself. The church is a place of protection, the place of accountability. Listen to Proverbs 18.1. A man who isolates himself, seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. To forsake the gathering of the saints is a form of beginning the backslide. It will cut you off from pastoral feeding. It will weaken you spiritually and make you vulnerable to the attacks of Satan, your flesh, and the world. It will hinder the body of Christ because you have gifts that you're to exercise in the church. And no one can replace you. You're very vital to the church of Jesus Christ. Why do we provoke one another to love and good works? So, we don't forsake the gathering of the saints. That's what we do in the church. Find where you can get fed. There's all kinds of different pastors, but make sure they teach you the word of God. Not tickle your ear, not compromise the word. The entrance of Jesus into the Holy of Holies in heaven does not disannul the church, but establishes it even more. There's no exception. And so the believers' practice is to draw near to God in faith, continue to hold on to who Jesus is as their hope, and encourage one another to love and good works being joined in the church. That's our practice, people. Notice Thirdly, the believers' precaution in Christ. This is the climax of all the warnings. It hits it hard. Notice first verse 26, the proper context is vital for the proper interpretation. This is the fourth of five warnings found in the book of Hebrews, as you know. We've been looking at that. Remember that. In chapter 2, verse 1, don't drift from what you have heard. Chapter 3, verse 12, don't disbelieve or depart from the living God. Chapter 5, 12, don't degenerate in your spiritual growth. Chapter 10, verse 29, don't despise the spirit of grace. The last one in chapter 12, verse 25, don't defy what you have heard. The warning is against disobeying the call of God. Strong warnings. Notice the progression, the severity. It increases. Now, this section of Scripture falls into the same category that we spoke about in chapter 6, verse 4 through 8, of one who is willfully, deliberately, and maliciously turning away from Christ. It is not referring to backsliding here, okay? So let's get that straight. It's not referring to a willful sin, for which of us has not sinned willfully since we've been born again? Somebody want to raise their hand so I can laugh? Then what is it talking about? This passage and the other one is talking about people who have turned away from Christ. In chapter 6, those Hebrews who had gone back to animal sacrifice, and there was, it was impossible to renew them to repentance again if they trusted the blood of animals. But if they went back and, and, and saw their failure months later, could they not repent and come back? Sure they could. There was no more atonement under the blood of animals. But it didn't mean that they couldn't turn to Christ again. This right here now is about someone who has willfully, deliberately turned away from Christ and said, He's not the Christ. He didn't die for me. He's not the Savior of the world and goes back into sin. Who are they? Those who had at one time accepted Jesus Christ. Don't let anybody tell you that they're not Christians, okay? If they're not Christians, then this warning is totally useless, Now, look at verse 26 and 27. The believer is to understand a basic truth of the gospel, that if one sins willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sins. That's what it says. Don't try to justify. That's what it says. Straightforward. The sin is not by God's predetermination, as Calvinists would say. The word is willfully. Of one's own free will, voluntary, one's free accord. Okay? It is a personal choice. The word is found two times in the New Testament. Here and in First Peter chapter 5, verse 2. Listen to First Peter 5, 2. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers. Not by compulsion, but willingly. Same word. Not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Each pastor can become a hugster or a servant. It's a choice, okay? This is a choice. Whether you remain abiding in Christ or you turn back to sin. Anybody here doesn't believe they can still sin the way they used to? (laughs) I presume you're just like me. You got some bad capacity. So do I if I don't abide in Christ. The magnitude of the sin is that it is after having received the knowledge of the truth. This is the focus. After receiving the knowledge of the truth, this knowledge refers to the full and complete revelation about the person and the work of Jesus Christ to redeem a sinner. Has Paul not been talking to believers from the beginning? Of course. He has already told them that if they went back to animal sacrifice in chapter 6 or 4 through 6, it would be impossible to renew them to the repentance under the blood of animals. Not that they couldn't repent. In fact, he said there, they were once enlightened, tasted the heavenly gift, partakers of the heavenly spirit, tasted the good word of God, powers of the age to come. If they fall away, he says in verse 6 of chapter 6, to renew them again to repentance, it would be impossible since they crucify against the son of God to open shame. But remember that if they fall away is not a good translation. The text there says, having fallen away. It's not a hypothetical thing. Paul is saying some have fallen away. In fact, we are told in Timothy 4.1 that many will fall away, turn away from the faith in the last days. Periodically at times, it'll happen. You have a free will to the day you die. God doesn't force you to go to heaven, but he doesn't force you to go to hell either. It's a choice. And so, look at verse 27. Verse 27. That being the case, the only thing that awaits such a person is a certain fearful judgment looking for the fire indignation of God that will devour the adversary. So there's a person who willfully, deliberately, maliciously turns away. Says Christ didn't die for me. He's not the savior of the world. The word but makes a sharp contrast between no longer being sacrificed and the judgment. And the judgment is a certain fearful expectation. Fearful meaning terrifying That's the only thing you have to look forward to, to expect a terrifying moment as God judges you because you say Jesus didn't die for your sins. So now you have to give an account for your sins. The word expectation only appears as one time. That's all a person has to look forward to. Now, if these were non-believers, they would fall in the category of non-believers. And what you would do is be evangelizing them. You wouldn't be warning them. Real simple. Notice thirdly, verse 28 and 29. The believer is to understand God has not changed his mind about those who turn away from him. Verse 28, the author points out the severity of such a sin by those who rejected the law of Moses. Here's a parallel. He takes an actual account of the Old Testament. There were no exceptions. Anyone who had rejected anyone, capital punishment, they died without what? Mercy. They were God's people. There were witnesses to approve and to carry out the discipline. Two to three witnesses, quoting Deuteronomy 17, 1 through 7. Okay? And then he said, oh, that's not fair, God. (laughs) Well, I don't believe that's true. He did it. He's taking an actual case of the Old Testament. Now, the law was inferior to grace. So notice, the author uses the principle of argument from the lesser to the greater as he has before. Verse 29. The certainty and greater punishment is stated of how much worse punishment the plea to enter into consideration of the punishment as a believer is given. Do you suppose will he be thought worthy? Of how much worse punishment do you suppose? Think with me. Are you saying something different than I am? If those in the Old Testament died two and three, how much more? This greater privilege. The argument is judgment due to the nature of the offense. Who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counted the blood of the covenant on which he was sanctified an uncommon thing? He was sanctified, a fact, and insulted the Spirit of grace. This is the sin the author addresses in the context of those who were judging the sacrifice of Christ insufficient to depend on for salvation having done so and now returning back to a life of sin. That's who he's addressing. And if you come to church on Sunday and then you're playing with the devil from Monday to Friday, then you're on the road to this category. Doesn't mean you're there, but you're headed that way. God has reserved for himself in view of the, that he is the creator. To judge mankind. And he's quoting Deuteronomy 32, 35, and 36. And so the believer knows that God is the judge of all men. Paul quotes it again in Romans 12:19. The precaution is clear, then, isn't it? God will judge who? Underline it right there. His people. Oh, now we're busted. <laughs> context, context, context. His people. He's talking to Christians. Old Testament. Now makes application to the new. His people. His people, the Old Testament. His people now in the new that he's talking to. The illustration is from the Old Testament. His people, Israel. The application, the Jewish Christian he's talking to here. So, the pointed warning is simple. It is a fearful thing to fall into what? The hands of the living God. Fear will grip all who stand under the scrutiny of God's judgment. Why? It's penetrating. It's perfect. No man can see God and live. Exodus 33.20 says, God dwells in a light that is unapproachable. 1 Timothy 6.16. For he will deal personally, the hands of the living God, the very hands that want to protect you and take care of you, will judge you and deal with you. He's personal. Hmm. Jesus said, The men of Nineveh shall rise up in judgment against this generation and shall condemn it for they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold a greater than Jonah is here luke 11:32 greater it is the sin against love it is the sin against grace it is the sin against the holy spirit this is not hypothetical and if you are convinced it is then you're deceived all sins shall be forgiven except blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. We're told in Mark 3, 28 and 29, because the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin and tells us to repent. And if you come to the place where you think you don't repent, repentance and Jesus is not the Messiah, then you're headed down the direction. Either by rejecting the gospel altogether or by having it embrace it and then turning back. Same end. Same result. The Holy Spirit comes in the name of Jesus. He doesn't speak of himself, he convicts the world of sin. Jesus is the one who will judge the world, John 5, 22 says. And so we leave all those judgments to him, not in ourselves. We rest in his judgment. We pray for the nonbeliever. We pray for the backslide. We pray for those who have known Christ and not have gone back in the world. We pray for them. We hope that they return. But there's no guarantee, is there? Because God doesn't force you to go to heaven. You've got to make a decision. It's appointed unto man to die once and after that the judgment. Hebrews 9, 27 says... God's not willing that any should perish. That's why he's long suffering, 2 Peter 3 9. And so we leave these judgments in God's hands. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples. You have love one for another. John 3 35 says, We're not to repay evil for evil, but to live in love and to do all we can, as Paul says in Romans 12 17 through 20. Doing good, we're different. The Old Testament calls God the Holy One. Isaiah says, woe is me, I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. He's holy, he's just, he hasn't changed. He judges people who turn away from him. Old or New Testament. He's the same God. And so, we're to put on the new man, Ephesians 4.24. We're to pursue peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see God. In 1 Peter 4.17, listen to him. He says, For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? 1 Peter four seventeen. 17. Hmm. The believer's precaution in Christ is to be biblical. God will judge all who turn away from Him. And so, here's the new life of the believer in Christ which is characterized by the believer's privilege in Christ, having access to God, knowing the way, and having a high priest. But the believer's practice is in faith, hope, and in love. And the believer's precaution in Christ is to be biblical. God will judge all who turn away
0: from Him. Pastor Xavier Reese and the only stronghold of faith a real relationship with Jesus Christ. As always, today's study, titled The Believer's Life in Christ, is available for only $4 on CD, and we'll be including everything we heard the last time we were together as well. Once again, the title to ask for is The Believer's Life in Christ, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, California, And please include the call letters of this station somewhere in your correspondence. This helps us monitor the impact of this outreach in your area. Pastor Xavier Reese and the Power of Faith. That's coming up on the next edition of Simple Truths. Hope you'll be back.